Good morning, everyone. This is Jeffy Kennedy, author of Epic Fantasy Romance. I'm here with my first cup of coffee. Oh. Delicious. Let's see. Today is Tuesday, November 22nd, 11-22-22. And I'm adjusting my camera here. There we go. So, um, I feel like I've been saying this all week, but, um, you know, U.S. Thanksgiving. So, I am headed off this evening for Tucson. See family. Looking forward to that. Having some people house sit for us, so that's nice. And, uh, and yeah. After that, I do my quick turnaround, come back to Santa Fe and fly to Hawaii the next day for this writing retreat. And so I'm, I'm revved for that. I'm revved. Uh, I woke up pretty early today uh, just doing stuff to get ready. And there, I had to get a little bit closer to uh, get the light to work on the camera here. I've good got I've got good backlighting. Uh, if you're not on video, the morning sun is coming in and hitting my my Rita Award, which is made by the same people that make the Oscars. So it's a a golden uh, trophy, a woman seated with a quill pen and a book, and it's um yeah my shiny golden idol, right? So I've got things to do today. I've got my little list of errands. Oops, sorry. <laughs> Hit the wind chime accidentally, waving my list of errands around. Got a couple of appointments, got to mail something. Kareen, I am mailing a box to you. I have to take it to the post office in town because posting it from our little local place was almost $100. Um, and it's like maybe a little heavier than usual, but not much. So I'm going to take it to the regular post office. Um, pick up some shoes I got repaired, that kind of thing. So go get my my wax and my mani pedi. So I'm all ready for the beach. It was funny I had this conversation with my nail gal because so like this is all this is today's frivolous episode. We're on vacation. Uh, uh, <laughs> let's talk about manicures. So been following me for a long time you know I changed the color up I like my nails and toes to match and I go thematically so right now I have black nails with a little bit of gold in them because that's what I did for like Halloween and October New Orleans I had black nails with a little bit of purple sparkle on the tips so I was talking with my nail gal because I'm having this special appointment today because it should have been next week, but I'm going to be gone, right? And I said, well, normally I would do like a Thanksgiving color for Thanksgiving, but I don't have any time between Thanksgiving and going to Hawaii where I would wear a beach color. And I'm like, so what do I do? What's, as your professional opinion, um, how do we solve this great conundrum? And she said, well, you, you have to wear a beach color for Thanksgiving. So she said, 
going to Hawaii on the beach is much more important than synchronizing with Thanksgiving. And I said, you are so wise. This is, this is why we pay you the big bucks. I think I've mentioned it before, but it is funny. The relationships you have with the people who uh, do like those personal services that you see very regularly. I see my, my nail gal every two weeks, which is more regularly than I see a whole lot of my friends. And so, and we've been together for several years now. So we know a lot about each other's lives. It's the same way with my Zencasters being a little bit funny there. Uh, it's the same way with my hairstylist because I see him like every five or six weeks and I've been seeing him for like 12 years now. So it's like we know a lot about each other's lives. It's, it, it's funny how relationships work. Uh, you know, there's that whole Buddhist idea that like every person you encounter, you're supposed to encounter for a reason. Uh, and I kind of wonder if the the monks who originally said that ever envisioned a world, which is now we hit 8 billion people. Did you know that? Uh, and I think of how many people, because they would say like even the most casual encounter is meaningful. And me with my whole connectedness thing, I kind of want to believe that. But at the same time, it's like, well, you know, every person that you encounter and and especially now that we encounter people by the via the internet you know i i wonder if the monks ever envisioned that scenario but anyway it is interesting just um the people who become a part of your life and it must be on my mind because i was talking about friendships yesterday right the female friendships and that book um the the friend who got away i'm I'm hoping some of you will check that out because I really do feel like that book needs to have more notice. I used to be so much regular about reviewing books on books on Goodread and books. <laughs> I am not articulate today on BookBub and Goodreads. So I, I need to get back to that. That's one thing that's fallen away recently because I do read all the time. I read on my Kindle with the, with it in airplane mode because I don't, well, first of all, it does drain the battery, but also I don't want Amazon tracking me relentlessly, but they remind me that they do track me relentlessly anyway, because when I go to the Kindle store, they'll say something like, congratulations, you're on a streak. You've read for 792 days in a row or something like that. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's, that they know that I read every day. They probably know my reading speed. So it goes, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I do go on reading. I, I do read every day, right? So it's just that I only review some books. So anyway, let's see, what else do I have to talk about today? Um, I made progress yesterday on the bandit story. It's um, getting this balance. I spoke yesterday about the balance of the um, going through and figuring out the minutes of the movie for, for this first scene. 
and how many words that would correspond to. So if I'm using the eight scene three act structure um, and I'm figuring that I'm shooting for like 80,000 words for this draft and this opening scene of the movie, the first 11 percent, you sort, you sort of divide by eight, right? Eight equal. It doesn't have to be. I should have mentioned that yesterday. It doesn't have to be exactly equal, but it's it's a rough. It's a rough approximation. So if I do that, that's the first um, 9,000 words, yeah, more or less, are scene one. And I have written so far 2,500, which really is only the opening credits of the movie. Uh, the piece that I've gotten through, like in the movie, it would be, it should be almost 7,000 words. And I've only written these 2,500 words. So I don't know how that's going to work. It's, it, it's an interesting experiment. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, I'm kind of using that, but I might, I mean, yesterday I was talking about how it needs so many words, more words to describe something that you can just show in one image in a movie, but clearly there's a lot of stuff that I am cutting out of, um, what's movie time and making do, is that making sense? Anyway, I'm, I'm trying not to overthink it, which, you know, is always a good um, effort for me. <laughs> so, so we'll see. Um, I'm pleased with how it's going so far, though. And it's fun. It's, uh, yeah, more, a little bit more lighthearted and snappier. I think there are things that I can add in. Uh, and I'll just have to decide how I'm going to do that. Right now I'm square bracketing a whole lot of names. Uh, for those who don't know, that's what I do when I'm drafting. I just put things in square brackets and then go back and fill them in character names and so forth. So, so yeah, I kind of want to get it all together and I don't know how much I will draft or revise before I send to agent Sarah because um, I don't know how much she'll want me to change. I saw this thing from David Bowie yesterday and I sent it to my friend Kelly Robson. It's um, a reel on Instagram, so I can link to it in the show notes. But it's um, a piece, I guess, from a documentary on David Bowie. And it's advice for young writers, young artists. Sorry, I make everything be writers, don't I? So he says in this, so he says that, and I just re-listened to make sure I had it right, that he thinks it's terribly dangerous for an artist to try to fulfill other people's expectations, that they produce their worst work when they do that, which is strong phrasing. And one of my first reactions to that is, <laughs> sorry, I'm gonna have multiple reactions to this. One of my first reactions is, it's easy to say that when you're David Bowie, right? 
uh, and, and that's what made me think of it, like with sending this to Agent Sarah and having her help me figure out, you know, like, how do we target this for the market? You know, if we want to sell this to, to traditional publishing, if I were not thinking about other people's expectations, as in Agent Sarah's, as in the editor she plans to send it to, as in the traditional marketing pub, you know, the salespeople and the all the people in Trad who make the decision about sending that stuff out, there's a lot of expectations, right? And if I were doing this differently, I would write this book. If I were doing this the David Bowie way, I would write this exactly the way I wanted to, which I'm pretty much doing. I mean, I'm writing it the way I want to, but then I would say, take it or leave it, right? Um, which I'm not David Bowie, so I don't get to do that. Uh, once you're David Bowie, you know, you can kind of put everything out there that you want. Uh, I think some people would argue, well, no, we won't even go there. Uh, so, so other thoughts on this, that it is at its core, important advice because, and I often talk about kicking the other voices out of the room, right? That you can't have the expectations drive what you're doing, uh, in large part because it will drive you crazy, uh, and it will inhibit the work. Do I think that an artist produces their worst work when they are meeting others' expectations? No, I don't believe that. Uh, I'm thinking, you know, of my girl, Taylor Swift, who, you know, Swift now has more American Music Awards than any other artist in history. You know, Swift, the awards this weekend, won all six categories she was nominated in, one artist of the year. And one of the things she talks about in her acceptance speech is, and maybe I could see if I could find that too. So I can link to Taylor's acceptance speech. And she says uh, that she's produced more music, released more music in the last few years than she did for the entire decade before that. And some of this is being liberated from her record label. And Dorinda and I were talking about this yesterday that you know she's such a great example for all artists on taking control of your career. Uh, she, she's now recording all her own music. You know, it's she's in a financial place where she can do that. But you know, making her own videos, making her own music, doing her own merchandising, she's no longer at the mercy of the record label. Uh, in part because they they screwed her and and she liberated herself from that so what she says in her acceptance speech is that uh the fans made it clear to her that they wanted a lot more music from her and that they would listen to that we would listen to all this music that she put out and so is that a kind of fulfilling expectations uh, Taylor Swift is very good at knowing what her fans love and she gives it to us. Um, and I think that that's not her worst work. What would David Bowie say to that? Um, 
It could be that he was thinking of something very specific. But there is a, a kind of organic interchange between creator and receiver of the creation. And Taylor Swift is very good at interacting with, with her fans, with the people who like her work. Um, the, the amount, it was interesting to me that she was talking about doing so much more music now that she has control of it, that it's no longer being sort of dripped out there by the music industry. Reminds me very much of a friend of mine who is a best-selling author, uh, has done enormously well, has made her publisher lots and lots of money. And her last series did not do as well. And we've been trying to puzzle out why. She and I have talked about why her agents tried to puzzle out why her editor. And her editor said on a call that it was because this writer was self-publishing and that she was putting out too many books and therefore saturating the marketplace. And which is complete and utter bullshit. And I've, I've mentioned this even to people who are exclusively traditionally published and they're like, God, that's a bullshit thing to say. Uh, if, if you have people who love your work, they, they love all, they love your work. They want more of it. Uh, it does not whet their appetite for you to dole it out. And a lot of the traditional publishers have that very strong idea of like they've done these St. Martin's Press told me that on my books when I did the Forgotten Empires trilogy that they told me, oh, well, we've done all of this market research and we've discovered that, you know, this this window is the optimal time to to release books in a series. And, you know, I kind of wanted to say, well, could I see that data? Because <laughs> I'm a data jockey. I would love to analyze that data. Uh, I'm not sure I believe there is data. Uh, the traditional publishers tend to say that they think people, writers should release one book a year, uh, which is not enough for a writer to live on. Uh, unless you're making big, big bucks, uh, writers can't live on that. And so it begins to feel like a, are they deliberately keeping the writer down? I mean, clearly my friend's editor wants her to not self-publish, but she's making good money self-publishing now. And, and for many of us, uh, we would not be able to make our living as writers on what traditional publishing pays us. Even, even she who has been doing very well, um, would not be able to do it anymore with this last series, not doing as well, right? Which they're trying to blame on her. So these are all thoughts, thoughts on, creating, but also selling. And so even though I find what David Bowie says very interesting and enough that I shared it with several people, and I'm obviously sharing it with you, you kind of have to take things with a grain of salt when it comes from someone who is already very successful and looking back over their career. Um, people have made the point, which I think is very interesting that getting advice, for instance, at conferences from writers who have been around for a very, very long time 
is not useful to new writers because the industry has changed so much, you know, because they'll sit there and they'll tell these stories about, well, you know, I passed my manuscript over the transom, you know, which, which is, it, it's interesting to me that younger people don't know some things. I saw some people talking about Taylor Swift songs and saying that they didn't know what one for the money, two for the show came from, and they were trying to analyze it. And I was realizing they had no context for the old billion type songs. So over the transom is those windows that were above the office doors in the New York office buildings, you know? So the door would be locked, but often that little window up at the top would be uh, popped open and you could put things through it. And so, I mean, people literally put book manuscripts over the transom. And so it would be like on the floor when the editor walked in the next morning. This is obviously not useful advice for anybody. You can't replicate it. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's the, the pick and choose, uh, listen to people, hear what they have to say, but be aware that even, even the David Bowie's of the world aren't necessarily giving advice that's useful for you. And on that note, I am off for Thanksgiving and my writing retreat, and I will be back in a couple of weeks. I hope you all have a productive time. Those of you doing NaNoWriMo, uh, good luck on your final push. And I will talk to you all on Monday, December 5th. You all take care. Bye-bye.